Hello. Welcome to episode number, hey, what episode is this? 49. 49. Welcome to episode number 49 of CXO Talk. I am Michael Kreitzman, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Vala Offshore. Vala? Michael, great seeing you. It's good to see you as well. And we have a wonderful guest, Tim Weaver, who is the CIO of the Dannon Company. Hey, Tim. Hi, Michael. Hi, Vala. How are you today? We're <laughs> doing great. So, Vala, we have, we've updated our website. And we now have a nomination form, so, so folks out there can go to the website and click nominate and recommend guests. Fantastic, fantastic. I know we, we've had an opportunity to talk to a few VCs, and we're looking to get some great, exciting startup CEOs to come on the show and talk to us about emerging trends and, and their companies and innovation. So look forward to having those nomination forms uh, filled out. Definitely. And also subscribe to our newsletter. That's new too. Absolutely. You know, it's worth it's worth <laughs> subscribing. Anyway, we should we should dive in. You want to start? No, go ahead, please. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Tim, thank you for joining us. Sure. Without further ado, uh, so you are the CIO of Danon, which is a subsidiary of Danone. Yep, that's correct. It uh, Danone is a French company with uh, subsidiaries all over the world, and Dannon is our U.S. yogurt uh, subsidiary. Uh, so tell us, tell us about Dannon, how big is the company, uh, what, what do you guys actually do? I know you make yogurt, but I'm sure there's more involved than just what sits on the shelf. There's something behind it. And, and very briefly, tell us about your personal background so we have some context. Sure. So. Uh, Dannon's a, a, a great company. We're, we're bringing health through food uh, with our yogurt products, uh, and uh, you know we, we manufacture about 230,000 cups of yogurt every hour. Uh, so we're very excited that, that uh, we bring really healthy products. Yogurt's a terrifically nutrient-rich, uh, you know, food item uh, to to as many consumers as possible. So I've, uh, I've been with Dannon for about two and a half years now. Uh, prior to Dannon, I was with Red Bull Energy Drink for about 12 years, uh, bringing energy to as many people as possible. Uh, served in various roles uh, prior to my CEO role here at Dannon while I was at Red Bull, uh, setting up and running their U.S. IT organization. Uh, then I ran the global SAP implementation practice uh, based out of Austria. Uh, so got to live over there for a few years, and then finally uh, spent the last six years of my 12-year tenure over there at uh, r running from the Sydney uh, office, running, the, setting up and running the IT organization that covered our uh, Middle East, Africa, Oceanic, and, and Asia markets. Can you uh, talk a little bit about your IT organization? And you know the size of the group and some of the projects and, and the makeup of uh, of IT. I, I read six million yogurts consumed a day. So obviously, massive channel, great distribution, and a great company. So love to hear about the IT group itself. Sure. So um, we we have a very strong central IT function uh, that's managed out of Paris. 
Uh, so a lot of our core solutions are actually hosted at a, at a data center in France and managed through the organization in Paris in combination with some, with some critical uh, business partners, including IBM and Accenture. Uh, locally within the North America market, my organization actually uh, runs IT for not just Danon, but for all of the Danone portfolio companies that are based here in the U.S. and Canada. So that includes our great organic uh, Stonyfield line of products company, uh, the Evian Water line, uh, which is a premium water that everybody knows and loves, uh, terrific product. And uh, we also have uh, organic baby food in our portfolio family. Happy Family Organic Baby Foods joined us last year as part of the Danone family. So we have some terrific uh, brands and organizations in North America that uh, are considered their market leaders in their category. So specifically around our organization on the IT side is that uh, we, we actually brought our IT groups that were across our Canada and U.S. businesses that were operating uh, somewhat autonomously, we brought them into a new North America IT group last year uh, and reorganized the teams to really make sure we were aligned with the mission statements to, uh, of all of the businesses. Uh, we, the, the overall structure is we have a, an implementation practice with, with uh, functional domain experts leading teams uh, working with critical areas of the business to identify and implement various business solutions. Uh, we have an operations team that, that implements uh, or provides all of the support for our production environment, uh, both business applications and the traditional IT infrastructure. Uh, we have a strong analytics team, uh, so we see that as a real cross-functional area looking for innovation in, in bringing analytics to the business so that we can continue to have competitive advantage. Uh, and then we have the traditional functions like governance and, and the technology. So, so Tim, you, have, you must have a large uh, supply chain and you, and you have a huge distribution channel. So, so, so what, is the, what is the role of IT in coordinating that supply chain, the production, and then that enormous channel? Well, I mean, our task is really to make sure we're bringing enablement technology to our supply chain teams uh, in their various functions within that whole supply chain component. So, you know, beyond, beyond the, the transactional processing that's obviously done in SAP, uh, it's bringing in third-party partners for EDI, for uh, logistics planning, uh, route optimization. Uh, and then, you know, one of the interesting areas that we've been working tightly with the analytics group in our supply chain over the last six months is to really better understand the, the customer supply chain so that we make sure that the way we package our products, the way we ship them, the scheduling of those shipments, uh, really works within the context of their supply chain effectively and, and efficiently, and, and finally make sure, making sure that we have the, the right mix of products at the right time on the shelf so that consumers can purchase and enjoy them. I saw a photo of you and Ray Wang on Twitter yesterday, and anytime I see a CIO with Ray, 
I know they must be cooking up some sort of disruptive, highly innovative, uh, put a dent in the universe type plan. So talk to us a little bit about your stakeholders and what they demand of IT and, and you know, uh, what, what, what are some of the exciting projects that uh, you're working on? Sure. So uh, I don't know anything about what you mentioned with Ray. I plausible deniability. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to touch upon that part of it. But um, you know, we we really see ourselves as, as as you know not not a kind of service department or function to the overall business, but really working together. I mean, what, where we see our role on the IT side is is you know, identifying and bringing technology to the equation uh, in the various business areas. So, you know, I, as I outlined with supply chain, working heavily with them on bringing new innovation around analytics and the data management platforms uh, that we see, you know, coming onto the market in the SaaS model. Uh, you know, when we work with our finance teams, looking at new ways that they can better analyze the financial equation uh, that's in front of them and make sure that they are they're properly equipped with efficient and effective technologies to communicate things like customer profitability uh, and, and the various aspects uh, that, that they need to provide to the other areas of the business. So we really see ourselves as, as effective partners with them um, and you know it's, it's been a, you know my two and a half years it's been a, a really strong relationship with every single aspect of the of the business Tim in order to do what you just described to be a collaborative partner with these different parts of the business don't you have to have uh, a, a pretty detailed and sophisticated understanding of what those different departments actually need sure so how do you do? How do you do that? I mean, your your background, your training, the, you know, in general, the background training of IT is in systems. So how how can you be an effective partner to marketing, to supply chain, to accounting? How do you do that? Well, I th I think one component of it is obviously to make sure that you're listening. Uh, you know, if, if you're a CIO and you get distracted and focused on the traditional technology aspects of IT. I think you're going to miss out on the opportunity to, to be engaged and learn about the business. I mean, obviously, two and a half years ago, I started with Danon, and and I can tell you that the extent of my knowledge about yogurt uh, started and stopped at the opening it and putting a spoonful. <laughs> uh, so you know, my my peers in the in the business are have been very open and, and have embraced. The approach of, of making sure that the, the right people in the IT organization are also properly educated about the business. So that's that's definitely one way is to just work within the context, make sure that you position yourself and see yourself and, and get engaged uh, with uh, with the people uh, around the parts of the organization. I think the other side and what we've seen over the last couple of years and we've really instituted is. When I talk about a, the part of my organization that's around business enablement for technology, these are people actually that are seen by the functional areas of the business as being experts in their space. So we, we've been on a journey for the last couple of years around really bringing our sales planning and execution processes to uh, a, not just the best practice, but an innovation leader in that space. And, 
the person in my team who runs that uh, from the IT side is considered as much of an expert about sales planning and execution as the uh, sales planning and execution team themselves when it comes to, to certain elements. So I, I set a mission when I began at Dannon to do the mandate of saying that the people in that area of the IT department had to look and be completely interchangeable with their business peers that are coming out of the functional area. What are some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order for Dannon to view IT as, as an innovative business enabler? You know, I, I, I'm very fortunate at Dannon because, you know, the, my, my peers in the different functional areas are uh, really accustomed and, and I think our culture is one of collaboration and, and working together. So, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories of organizations where there's a lot of turf wars, there's a lot of fighting about who gets how much budget. Um, and, and the way we really tackle it is, is that we stay focused on what our mission is. And our mission is to bring health through food. And, and the way we do that is collaboratively and together, you know, defining plans and executing on them as best we can to make sure that we're getting those healthy items out to the grocery stores and into consumers' hands. So I don't see IT as being uh, kind of outside the wall of, say, our yoga business. I, I see us as having a seat at the table and we're, we're as committed to that mission and selling as much yogurt as I would say our sales teams are. You know, when I talk with CIOs, or the more I talk with CIOs, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the CIO job is really about politics and innovation and if we strip it down really about politics, much more than it is about technology. Do you agree with that or, or am I off base? No, I think it can be uh, and, and maybe it's probably even the most prevalent kind of scenario or situation that a lot of CIOs find themselves in. Um, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm very fortunate at Dana not, not to be in that context and I, I'm thankful for it every day but I also, you know, have to appreciate that many other people in my chair are not so fortunate. You started in the beginning of the interview and you mentioned as you were profiling your IT organization having strong analytics capabilities. Uh, certainly as a CMO, I appreciate when IT has, um, you know, advanced analytics capabilities. Um, because, as you know, the landscape in marketing today requires that level of contextual intelligence to be able to stay relevant. Can you talk a little bit about your role in terms of building the analytics capabilities and why you view it as, a, as an important function to sit within IT? Yeah. So we, I mean, very early on, we, we were very clear that, that uh, the overall subject of analytics and what was going to be a critical advantage for us in, in you know, competing in the market. Uh, so, I, I mean, even when I landed, Dannon was already a, a largely data-driven company that really respected insights that could be derived out of data. And the, uh, what I would say is that we weren't always so good from the technology side at providing you know, the platforms and tools to, to leverage those capabilities. And many of the functional areas 
you know, they were going out to the market and, and, and securing those things themselves. Um, where we're at today is we're, we're on a journey. Uh, we, we haven't solved that problem internally, uh, and, and IT, I would say, is still in its infancy at Dannon as to how we uh, provide effective technology to some of the areas of the business. Marketing is one of them. They still heavily rely on our agency engagements and, and third parties to do a lot of their analytics. Uh, but we're building for the future, so we're building that partnership with them. We're, we're building an architecture that we've shared with them, that they've embraced, they're very excited about. Uh, and, and you know, the next stage for us is to drive adoption through that so that they can begin to derive value. But I think it, it, in our specific case, the, the first step was to just admit that the approach we were taking historically was not going to be the most effective one to, to drive the strategy of utilizing analytics effectively forward. We're starting to get some questions from Twitter, and we have some very good ones. Uh, so let's let's jump there. We have a question from Zachary Jeans, who asks, can you give us an example of how the Internet of Things might be used at Dannon? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> You're just well, talking about analytics. I thought that's a great question. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that uh, that's a very nascent category and topic. So I, I would be the first to admit that probably in Dannon's focus, that when we talk about outside of our kind of enterprise environment, uh, we're, we're, we're not really having this on our radar thinking yet. I mean, where I, I see that it can go is, we operate quite a number of obviously very large manufacturing facilities across North America. We have a significant amount of automation in those facilities. I mean, they're considered best in class, very modern, constantly being upgraded. We make significant capital investments to make sure that uh, they, they have all of the systems in place necessary to ensure quality of product, safety of, of the people. Um, so, you know, around this, I think you're going to see an increasing amount of the automation platforms themselves utilizing the Internet of Things technology uh, to, to really be able to take the next step with them so that they're not, so, they're not uh, independent, siloed off solutions that do a particular functional step on the line in the production line, but instead can, can start to be pieced together holistically uh, to work more effectively together. Um, can you share with us how closely you work with uh, marketing at Dannon, and and uh, perhaps what type of what type of analytics are the are they asking IT to help to help um, you know understand um, is it is it analytics from sales through CRM solution is it analytics from uh, you know your partners and, and and customers can you share a little bit about that. Sure. So I mentioned our sales planning and execution uh, kind of best practice approach. And that's really been not just a sales topic, but it's also been tied heavily into the marketing side of things. So when we built out the, uh, the um, sales planning models to, to estimate volume growth uh, across our, our trade promotion plan, Many of the drivers which which impact that are coming out of our marketing team. So you know the number of um, 
GRPs that we have, you know, what kind of advertising are we doing in the markets, what type of digital advertising are we, are we doing in the markets, uh, and to see if that's, um, to make sure that we're driving that from an effective standpoint as we build out those data, those data models. So this is, this is one area where we really partner closely with marketing to make sure we have those metrics that they're getting getting out of the, the space. The other areas that I mentioned that, uh, you know, we're, we're still in early days with some of our marketing areas. I mean, they're leveraging the agencies quite heavily uh, to do the things that we cannot do yet in IT. Uh, so, you know, where, where we've shared with them what our vision is and some of the technology pieces in the stack that we're putting in place. They're very excited about it. We, we do have very good positive engagement. I think honesty about what your capabilities are as an IT organization uh, is the most fundamental place you need to be because you can't uh, overpromise and underdeliver. They still have a, a job to do. They need to, to, to fulfill their role to help uh, you know, the marketing of our products. We, we just had a comment from Andy Karabudis, who is the CIO of Dell, and another guest on the show, and she comments that, uh, quote, the Internet of Things is a disruptor. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I mean, it's, it will be interesting to see that the timing of that disruption and, and where that disruption occurs. And we have a, another question from Twitter from Christopher Kelly, who asks, how do analytics tie into demographics and digital strategy? Good question. So, I mean, demographics are a significant uh, piece of the layer of data that we look at and, and are building our future upon. So, you know, the yogurt, the yogurt category has been and a very interesting one to learn about. And one of the things that, that uh, you learn is that Americans don't eat very much of it compared to uh, our fellow global citizens. So we, we have a metric uh, where Americans eat, on average, per capita, about four pounds of yogurt per year, whereas even just to the north in Canada, our, our um, fellow North Americans uh, are eating at about 14 pounds per year. Wow. So, you know, the, the, the diet, the, the, the dietary habits of Americans are, are undergoing a, a dramatic shift right now. Health consciousness is, is much more prevalent. I mean, you see with, with First Lady Michelle Obama and the last years with her push around a much healthier eating uh, style, we're, we're pushing. Just today, we announced our, our push to uh, make our products even healthier than they are. So, you know, demographics and understanding the population and, and making sure that we're creating products for uh, people's preferences, but, but they continue to provide the level of nutrition that yoga provides, it is an important part of the analytics that we do on a regular basis. We have a question from Twitter from Bob Nielsen, and Bob asks, or his comment is, Danon is big on community interactions what is the role of IT in that? Yes, yeah, so that's absolutely correct. I mean, we're a very socially conscious uh, organization, globally known 
some years ago committed to a global 30% reduction in its carbon footprint, which it, it achieved uh, in, in the time period committed. Uh, you know, we consider all of the things that, that impact uh, the environment and the communities around us. I mean, where we operate our plants, where we operate our offices, we make, we make sure we're heavily tied into our local communities. It's just who we are as an organization, and it's it's the kind of people that are attracted to and join Dan and, and, and Excel here. So specifically how IT is involved in that, I mean, I can tell you that my, my team on a very personal individual level is very active, you know, when community events are organized, when, when community events are going on, we're always trying to participate heavily uh, or based on availability. You know, we've spent the last year, Dan and as a company, really promoting the concept of one yogurt every day. Uh, and so as part of that, everybody at the company uh, in the last year has really gone out and, try and educated people in grocery stores and parks uh, about the health benefits of yogurt. And, you know, our dietary habits are, are a large part of what makes us who we are. And, you know, my, my entire IT organization is proud to be representing, you know, the products that we, we put on the market. You're not afraid to disrupt. And I know that you work with startups. As a matter of fact, you were referred to us by a startup called Paxata, which I guess you're one of their, their customers. So tell us about the role of disruption and how you work with startups and why are you not scared to bring startups into Dan? And you're a huge company, and you're willing to work with these tiny companies. Why do you do that? Well, I, I think that there's two components of it. I mean, I'll, I'll start with a rather selfish one, which is I think a lot of the startups are developing and delivering technology uh, which makes IT more effective, which makes IT a better partner in the business. It, it makes us look better to our peers. So, you know, the, the more that the Pixadas, et cetera, of the world can make me and my team look better with the business because we're bringing something that's unique and, uh, and innovative and bringing a lot of value to their day-to-day -day work, uh, the, the, the better work we feel within our IT function. So I think that that's, that's the selfish aspect of it. And I, I think the other side is, is the business enablement. I mean, Disruption is inevitable, and I always I always find it strange that somebody can pursue a career around technology and not somehow be attracted inherently to innovation and new things, because that's what technology is, in my view, uh, and it's always going to be disrupted. And you know, there are many people in the industry that talk about it. If you don't disrupt yourself and your own products, you're just leaving the door open for somebody else that's going to come and do it for you. Um, so, you know, that embrace, embracing of new technologies is something that, that I've really reinforced with my teams. They, they've really taken to that initiative. Uh, you know, nobody wants to be, have a stale resume. Uh, who wants to be a Fortran or a Cobalt programmer today? There aren't many people. So, uh, I, I have a funny story on that one. So last year, you know, we had a, a, a meeting with all of the IT staff. We brought them all together in one place and spent spent a few days working together. And, uh, you know, I asked the question, how many people in this room uh, think we should be pursuing a, a strategy that includes a lot of cloud elements and, and SaaS-based solutions? 
and every hand in the room shot up. So they, you know, there's an obvious recognition of where the market is going. The next question I asked, I think, was even more interesting. How many people in the room actually have experience with those technologies and solutions? And not one hand went up. And it was a great, great point, I think, because you know, my my goal with my team is to create an environment where they're able to learn those things that will make them more effective in their job and give them that opportunity and not just expect them to keep the lights on with the existing technology. What are, what are one or two technologies that you believe are most disruptive in, in business? Um, maybe now and then maybe technologies that you foresee in the near future. Sure. I think that, that you know that some of the technologies that are bringing agility to the organization and self-service, um, you know, we're, we're moving or reducing the traditional life cycle of, of you know defining requirements, receiving a request, defining requirements, designing a solution, building a solution, and delivering a solution. We're now moving into a paradigm where a lot of those pieces get removed or collapsed down in, in timing because uh, they're either become unnecessary or they become something that the business users themselves are able to, to build with some of the new tools and technologies. So I, I think you know if we come back to the analytics space, the computational power and the commoditization of storage, uh, you know, processing power. You know, I'm out in San Francisco this week, and I've had the fortune to see things that you know we only dreamed of just a few years ago. The ability to run huge SQL jobs in the span of seconds that in the past would take hours, if not days, uh, and to do that dynamically without having that heavy capital infrastructure investment that you know was only available to a select few in, say, the banking industry in the past. You know, and this is this is a disruption that's going to happen, but it's a disruption that's really about enabling the business to do things so much faster. Well, we have a uh, question. We have lots of questions from Twitter, uh, and there's a question from Nick Ham who asks, "How much of being disruptive is adopting new technology versus new methodologies and mindset?" Good question. Yeah, it's a very good question, and I think it's I think they go hand in hand because if you if you take the methodology, for example, that I had just mentioned, which is you have a request from somebody on the business side, you design a solution, you develop it, you deliver it back to them, and you kind of go through that iterative process over time as adjustments need to be made. You know, the technology that that is coming out with some of the innovation is really going to turn that on its head because IT isn't going to be nest needed to build some of those new solutions. This is something that the end users are going to become increasingly able to do for themselves. I mean, I'll use an extreme example and, and uh, you know, spreadsheets. Spreadsheets, you know, when I, when I was just starting my career, uh, spreadsheets were just coming on to their own with the Lotus one two threes of the other world and things like that. I mean, I'll date myself. I even I even wasn't a user of VisiCalc in the many old days ago on on the Apple platform. But think about what what that technology did to empower individuals within the business uh, to to you know crunch data 
uh, versus how they did it manually before. And we're in the same paradigm shift right now when it comes to data management with the tools like Pixada offers. Uh, you know, the, the traditional way of moving and managing large volumes of data is now something that is, is going to be in the hands of end users. So that, that methodology that, 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 you know, was in the past is going to get turned upside down. So IT needs to evolve and adapt to that new model and make sure that they understand their, their role in the new paradigm. How do, how do you, how do you research uh, what could potentially be transformative, disruptive technology. You know you work with startups, uh, but you know, where do you, where do you, do they approach you on a regular basis and you're just open-minded CIO and you, you're, you're always willing to listen to what the companies have to say or do you have a, a, a peer network where you bounce ideas and, and, and determine, you know, where, where uh, the best value may come from? Uh, we, I think our audience would be interested in knowing how, you know, how does an innovative CIO keep up with all of the, you know, the incredible velocity of innovation today? Sure, and and I think it's an interesting question that that you know, the the approach I I've taken over the last couple of years is not one that even I I you know thought of. I kind of looked at my peers and the ones that I felt were thought leaders in the space and and doing this well themselves and, and asking them what they were doing. So it's a, it's a great question to share. I'll start with the way that I, that I don't find new products, new, new uh, vendors, and new solutions. I don't react to unsolicited email. So if anybody's out there, unsolicited email is an effective uh, marketing or sales tool to get yourself in the door. Uh, I can tell you that it, it's not one that's well appreciated. Uh, but on a serious note, it, it's a mixture of things. I mean, I, I've been fortunate that you know, meeting with some of the, the VCs out in the in the San Francisco area, you know, they're very very open. They're very desiring of engagement with CIOs to be able to show what it is that they're investing in and how they those capabilities are there. And this, you know, the startup community is obviously looking for some early adopters who are aggressive and, and it works very well together. It's a mutually beneficial situation. I think you've got to you've got to be reading the blogs out there, you know, finding innovators, you've got to be on Twitter, you've got to be pay attention to the to the leaders in the space. Uh, the, the Ray Wangs, for example, that you, you joked about in the beginning. I mean there are they're constantly out there with a level of energy sometimes that the rest of us can't understand, but <laughs> Constantly, you know, feeding ideas, and you don't you don't need to try and do it all. You need to just pick a few things at a time. So I think it's a snowball effect, though. Once you once you decide to tap into to that thought leadership, it's just gonna it's a self fulfilling prophecy at that point. Uh, it, it just gets a life of its own, and it's not that hard. Uh, everybody is really interested in that that kind of engagement. So. I encourage everybody to do it because it's been a terrific journey and experience. Any one or two blogs you would recommend? I mean, is it the TechCrunch and Recode? And I mean, is it your traditional? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, TechCrunch, the Gigaohms, yeah. uh, these kinds of things that are really, you know, the more you can kind of get the, the the more you can focus on the ones that are really talking about the stealth mode startups. You know, the ones that are kind of finding out who's getting seed financing. What are they doing? Uh, 
you know, who, who's just closing an A round of financing oh. and starting to talk about what their products are doing. So the information is out there that everybody wants to share it. I mean, everybody's trying to get their their name and exposure out there so that their potential uh, clients uh, can, can be aware of them. So, you know, there are places like that to tap into for sure. How awesome that a billion-dollar company is open-minded, innovative enough to just with open arms welcome startups into their ecosystem. I know. That's, I, I know. That's, that's the one thing that uh, struck me when, when Tim and I were talking yeah. before the show. Tim, you really do try to seek out startups, don't you? You, you embrace startups. Yeah, I, I think that, that uh, you know, they, it's, we, don't, we don't go into it expecting that, you know, we're, you know, going to get a huge strategic, you know, uh, solution out of it necessarily. But, you know, the benefit of startups is that they're, they're hungry, they're nimble, they're inevitably full of really smart people that, uh, you know, will be very open and honest whether or not they think their technology is going to help you solve a particular challenge that you have in your organization. Um, and they're not going to try and, you know, oversell and uh, overpromise and underdeliver. If, it, if it's not the right fit, they're okay with that. Um, and so I, I, I think that it's just been a very nice, uh, and I'm not suggesting it, it should be the only strategy that, a, that an enterprise CIO should pursue. I mean, we have extremely fundamentally important partnerships with the SAP, uh, with Oracle, with Microsoft. So this isn't a zero-sum game. This is, uh, this is just building upon the shoulders of giants and, and trying to see what the next great thing is. So, having said all of this, you're going to get inundated <laughs> by uh, startups of every description. So, what are the what are the filter points? So you you you're always unsolicited emails. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't respond to unsolicited emails, so they're going to have to find a more uh, clever way to connect. But <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael. I'll let you finish your question. No, I, w I was going to say, how do you, how do you choose which ones to work with? I mean, just as a practical matter, because I'm sure you have people hitting you up all the time, even outside email. Is it a proof of concept that they need to successfully go through? Do you look at security, scalability? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously you're a global company, so I, I suspect there has to be some key markers that you look for to say, all right, you're past the first gate. Sure. I mean, we, we have some global governance uh, principles we need to always follow around, you know, making sure that they, they that whatever partner we bring in complies with, with that level of thing. We're not a U.S. publicly traded company. We're traded on the, the Paris Stock Exchange, but that's still no less important about our responsibilities around data security and, you know, processes and things like that. What I would say as to how we, we select them versus which ones we don't select is the first thing is is it's got to be a problem in front of us. I mean, the, the way we came at the data and the analytics topic is really not one around trying to buy a shoe and fit it on the foot. It was that we needed, we, we needed to do something in that area. Uh, and, and so that's why we went out and, and sought companies that were doing things in that space. So it's not, it's not a situation where, you know, hey, great, there's a, there's a well-known company in the CPG 
space, they want to deal with startups, therefore every startup can, can sign up at the door. Uh, we, we, we have to keep it limited. We're, we're not out there talking to more of working with more than a few at a time on very specific business objectives. Uh, and that, that's how we, we keep ourselves focused. So we're not, a, we're not an incubator or a VC evaluation firm or anything like that. We're a, we're a yogurt business and that's everything we do needs to be about uh, producing and, and distributing and selling yogurt. So, so the whole notion of uh, startups and the startup ecosystem, to what extent are you involved in the startup ecosystem, talking with VCs to understand from them, or is it, or do you get the information directly when startups contact you or through the press? Uh, it, you know, it, it can it can start in a number of places. I mean, if I go back two years ago, it obviously started in the press and then reaching out and, and, and building it. You know, it's a networking opportunity. It's uh, as I mentioned, nobody tries to overpromise something, but they, you know. May say, hey, we don't do that, or we don't. That's not our our niche, or that's not what we're focused on. But hey, there's another firm over here that is trying to do that. So it's a very, in many ways, a close knit community of people who know each other across both the VC and the startup field. Um, you know, people that are doing true innovation. You know, they and why I think Silicon Valley is such a special place is that you know it's it's uh, highly fostered. In, in the Silicon Valley, so they know each other. They very likely worked on other startups together with the critical people. So, just getting getting yourself into that network and just uh, you know asking people, you know, putting a problem in front of certain people, and if they don't know where to steer you, they at least might know somebody else who might know. As uh, as you're sharing your uh, your experience and lessons learned. With us, uh, CIO Magazine is uh, sharing some of your uh, some of your thoughts, uh, and of course, that's that's a prominent uh, magazine for CIOs. So, what advice do you have for CIOs who are trying to create um, uh, a, a value proposition where the IT is not looked upon as just a cost center, but really a, a, a line of business that's there to grow the business, delight customers? And improve the overall brand of the company. What's one or two pieces of advice you would give to you know fellow CIOs? I think the very number one thing, and I think it, it's it's going to sound very obvious, and it, it's obvious, and it's one we typically forget, is make sure that you are articulating that desire to be have IT fit that role with your peers in the business. If you're not comfortable going to the CMO, if you're not comfortable talking to the, the head of sales or even the CEO uh, about the aspirations that you have for IT and where you want to make sure IT is fitting, um, you know they're not going to know that you're 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 willing to be part of the success of the organization and can very easily fall back into that service delivery role. So. I think just articulating that desire and even making the request to them to help you uh, get there and, and achieve that. And you know, people people are amazingly supportive when when they hear that from you. I mean, I think that they, they've been wanting to hear that from CIOs for a long time, and they they hear it a lot from a lot of CIOs. And those CIOs tend to be very successful and 
have their their seat at the table. Um, but I think as long as you you act like an outsider uh, and behave like an outsider, then you run the risk of being an outsider. So you know, I, hopefully, what you've heard from me today is is a little bit about technology, but also a lot about my passion to make sure that yeah. you know we get our yogurt and our water in as many consumer hands as possible because because we and I personally uh, know how healthy it is for, for those people and, and that level of commitment to whatever business you're in and, and your organizational objectives is what, what as a CIO is going to help you be seen as a partner. Um, I think that the, the other part is is that you you need to execute effectively and you need to you know really come in and when you discuss ideas whether it's one that you're pitching uh, in a particular area or you know just understanding what direction certain the business needs to go and coming with an effective solution you know as quickly as possible and, and at the right level of quality. Is one that uh, you know you can you can never get away from. We all have to do our job ultimately well. Hey Tim, we're just about out of time, but we have so many questions from Twitter. So let me just hit you up with uh, a couple, two or three rapid fire. Okay, so I'll just do it and uh, and just give us very short answers this time. Sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. So you don't respond to unsolicited email and. Uh, Incidentally, Mary Fran Johnson, who is the editor-in-chief of CIO Magazine, commented back on Twitter, say, why would any CIO do that? <laughs> <laughs> but we have a question saying, uh, what about unsolicited tweets or social conversations? Do you respond to that? Uh, I'm human. If, it, if it's interesting at that moment or it's uh, enticing enough, I guess I, I could never say I wouldn't respond to it. I can say that so far I haven't. Okay, but 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 if it's good enough, you might. Yeah, I mean, I'm a person. <laughs> okay, all right. Another question from Julian Sammy: uh, To what extent does I does the IT organization lead the business into opportunities versus the business calling on IT to help? So, which comes first, the IT chicken or the business egg, or vice versa? Uh, I think that those are two equally possible ways. I mean, you can you can be an innovator and, and introduce things. You can be requested to innovate and find some innovation. But I think fundamentally the third way is the way I personally prefer and the one that I found more effective, which is that I don't see IT outside that concept of context. I don't think finance describes itself outside that context the way IT often does. Uh, so when when we're doing something with sales, we're doing something with sales, and sales is doing something with us to sell more yogurt. And uh, you know, to, to remove yourself from the overall business context and see yourself as a kind of a different silo or a piece of the organization, I think is what gets us often into the wrong situation. Okay, then I'm gonna want, give you one last one last question which is another good one from Julian Sammy. Uh, and Julian, thank you for asking these great questions. How do you measure IT's role in sales or other business functions? How in the world do, do you know that IT's doing a good job? The, the same way that sales knows. Uh, you know, I mentioned that, that uh, 
you know, we, we've spent the last two years on a journey to really get to a, a, a level of excellence around our sales planning and, and execution of our sales plans. And in my view, because we've been in such an effective partnership, the fact that we have a level of sales plan accuracy, which is how sales would measure themselves, is equally creditable to the technology and the IT contribution of that project as it is to sales. Uh, when sales succeeds at, at increasing sales, uh, and if they're using technology to do it, then, then I, I think IT has a fair, fair uh, credit to go along with that. When sales go down, and it's because technology is not working effectively to help uh, stabilize or, or right the situation, then we should we should take the blame too, along with sales. So, you know, we we often think that we want to uh, earn the credit and earn the accolades, but we don't want to take the, the blame. Uh, and I think in IT, we all often think we only have to take the blame. So I think we were. If you're part of the business, then you su you, you succeed and fail with the business. I think it's a common theme, Michael, with the CIOs we've had on our show, and that is sales is not a department, sales is a process, and it includes IT. And, and clearly, yeah. Tim is, is articulating that to us. Well, it includes IT if IT is aware that they can be part of sales, sure. and if IT is aware that there's a measurable outcome that they need to participate in. Of course. And I wonder how many CIOs actually are doing this. The ones that come on our show. The ones who come on our show, <laughs> definitely. Or we wouldn't invite them. <laughs> and, that is a, and that is a point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're out of time. We uh, could keep going. Fastest 50 minutes of my, my week. Was, so it, thank you very much, Tim. Exceptional, exceptional thought leadership. No, Love to have you back on the show. Terrific time. Thank you both very much for having me on. And I want to thank the... Uh, so I want to thank Tim Weaver, first off, who's the CIO of Dannon, the Dannon Company. We're very grateful for your time. And I would like to also thank everybody who's been watching, and especially the people who have tweeted in these great questions. Awesome. Awesome. CXO Talk would not be the same without you. And on our website, we have a new, two new forms. Isn't that Great. Sounds like I'm the Registry of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> Our webmaster here, Michael Krigsman. Yes, Go I'm ahead. very, very proud of this. But you can, you can now nominate, uh, nominate guests to be on the show by going to the website. And I hope you'll subscribe to our mailing list as well. So, Vala? It's a great show. Great. You know, let's do the high five thing. Oh. Nobody else, <laughs> nobody else can see because the cameras. You know. That's right. <laughs> you heard it. I also, I also learned this thing where you bump fists. Yeah, we'll talk we'll about do, that next we'll, show. Yeah, we'll, next time. <laughs> Michael just <laughs> learned to bump fists. So. <laughs> All right. Six years old. Anyway, go ahead. All right. Everybody, thank you for watching. Tim Weaver, the CIO of the Dannon Company. Thank you for joining. And, of course, my great co-host, Mr. Vala Offshore. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.